If you've ever read about the effects of complex PTSD, or you've watched videos, or you sought professional help for it, I urge you to be very thoughtful about what information that you let in, because it's not consistent. It's not all true. And if it's not actually helping you feel better and change your life, it could be very important that you find better information that does help you. Hey, it's Anna here, just taking a little pause to talk about getting help when you're having a rough time. There are a lot of things you can try, and one of them is online therapy through BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible, and those are very good things. Because finding a therapist can be really hard. BetterHelp makes it easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist who meets your criteria. And when you click the special link that I'm going to give you, it not only helps this podcast, but it gets you 10% off your first month of therapy. So you can connect with a therapist, see what happens, and if anything feels like it's not a fit, which is common in therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost. No stress about insurance or who's in your network or anything like that. So if you're struggling and you need to talk to a human, try BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-C-F. C-C-F stands for Crappy Childhood Fairy. That's BetterHelp dot com slash C-C-F. There's also a link in the episode description if you need it. That might be easier. Thanks for sponsoring us, BetterHelp. Now, back to the show. Researchers are learning a lot about how childhood trauma affects the nervous system and how it can show up as a wide range of symptoms in adults. And this has been well known for at least 10 years, but a lot of medical and mental health professionals haven't yet been exposed to this information. And so many of them are still in an old understanding of trauma that's limited and a little bit pessimistic and judgmental, frankly. And while this old view gets the source of the damage right, it knows very little about what to actually do about it. How do you actually heal? And so most people who have formed their understanding of themselves or other people who have trauma have some beliefs about trauma and healing that literally misinform you and disempower you and hurt your chances of ever healing the symptoms and changing your life. And these beliefs must go. The fact is healing is possible. So in this video, I want to tell you the most common mistakes people make around their complex PTSD. And I'm going to show you how to not make those mistakes, how to adopt a more successful strategy that will help you get where you're trying to go. Okay. Number one, this is a mistake you don't want to make, and it's making CPTSD your identity when in fact it's an injury. The trauma in your life happened to you, but it is not you. Trauma is an injury, not an identity. You are a complete full human being who had some bad stuff happen. It affected you and it caused an injury. Now think about that. The way that trauma affected you is an injury. It's not an identity. I want you to know this in your bones. That's why I'm being so repetitive. Healing is possible. It's possible for you to heal the brain and nervous system changes that may have taken place when you were abused or neglected as a kid. Neglect is surprisingly toxic in this way for children's development, and it affects your ability to focus and learn and your ability to feel connected with other people, and it can drive you into self-defeating behaviors. 
that hurt your progress and keep you stuck in a traumatized state. Now, when you have good information and tools that work and support from people who get it, all of this can change. You can become somebody who learns well. You can become somebody who has a good relationship because you are not your trauma. So my approach is to heal the symptoms caused by the trauma in the past, the symptoms. You can talk about your past for years. Many of us have, I did, expecting it to heal you and you know, you get the results you get from that. So you can assess whether that's working for you. And of course, sharing what happened to you with someone you trust is important. But for ongoing day-to-day -day healing, which is how trauma wounds show up day-to-day, you can take your focus and put it on the symptoms. Then you've just taken one giant step toward disidentifying from your trauma. When I first started to heal, I was going to a 12-step program for families of alcoholics. And technically, I am an adult child of an alcoholic. This is true. But I'm not really a child, and the alcoholic has not been alive for 30 years. So really, I can't say that I'm affected by that directly anymore. I definitely was hurt as a kid. I do think it, it caused some dysregulation and some attachment problems for me that were very destructive in my life for years and years. It definitely affected me. That's real, and it happened. But I was able to heal those symptoms without ever bringing my mom back to life. I couldn't have, right? My mom died at about the same time that I went to my first 12-step meeting and the same time that I was shown how to do this daily practice. And that helped me so much. It's not a coincidence, actually, that these things happened together. Her dying prompted me to, you know, seek help beyond what I had ever found before for a lot of the pain that I had about how it had been growing up and how really neglected I had been and how much she had not been available to protect me from abuse from other family members because of her drinking. And I had hoped for years she'd finally admit it and apologize and that we'd have some kind of healing, but that never happened. She just shut me out. So my first six months or so going to 12-step meetings, I was crying every day, which is normal, it's healthy. I was telling my story. I was kind of waking up about the seriousness of stuff that had happened and I was remembering little incidents and I'd hear other people sharing about their experiences. I had talked about this stuff for years in therapy, but by that time, talking with peers who had been through the same thing was really different for me. It, it was a big deal. It helped me understand that I wasn't alone or weird. I was normal. But I think about six months into that, I got this very strong conviction that telling my story had done all it was going to do for me anymore. My big problems were really the way I was living my life in present time. And I didn't feel like I had a ton of help for that. I had some very messy problems. And honestly, I couldn't have possibly felt good about myself while I was continuing to act out and hurt people and sabotage myself. Now, I had the good fortune back then to be shown two techniques that I call the daily practice. And I'll teach that method to you if you want. It's a free course. It takes less than an hour to learn. I hope you'll check it out. Through my daily practice, I then had a very specific technique to get my feelings and my, you know, my negative thoughts and emotions out, out of my heart, out of my mind, kind of like rinsing off stress. And then I'd follow it with a simple meditation that felt like it allowed my mind to rest and recover and kind of 
put itself back together. And I still do that to this day, 30 years later. And it very quickly became something that worked about 10 times better for me than the therapy I was doing, which at that time I was doing three times a week. But I needed something that I could do every time my trauma symptoms got the better of me, which was every day, many times a day often. And so one of the benefits of the daily practice in my early recovery was that it helped me develop a new identity of someone who was doing well, who was making positive changes in my life. And it was happening pretty fast and people were definitely noticing the difference. So when you focus on healing your symptoms, you're on a new foundation and your old identity as a damaged person whose trauma will always ruin everything, uh, it starts to fade. You don't, you don't wanna be identified with your trauma. Trauma is what happened to you. You are not what happened to you. So the second mistake that you don't wanna make is don't give away your power to heal. And here's what I mean by that. I get letters all day from people who are angry that people haven't apologized to them. They're angry at their therapists who have not caused uh, them to heal. They're angry at their doctors for not getting it and for dismissing their trauma-related problems and telling them that, oh, you're just depressed or you're hormonal or it's just all in your head. Sadly, this is a world where traumatized people are often judged and misunderstood and misdiagnosed and left on their own to heal. And for right now, that's just a fact. If you try to get help, people will say they can help, but as experience shows us, real help that makes a difference is rare. It's pretty tricky to find the person who fits you for that. But real healing that you lead is very common. It's common. And what if you allowed yourself to be sovereign over your healing and consulted experts and professionals and books and groups and YouTube channels, even mine, for guidance? but you knew that the power to heal really lies in your day-to-day -day awareness and management of the symptoms. This is where the work you do to heal can have tremendous impact on your life. You just have to have patience with the world right now. I hate it when people say that, but it's not changing very fast. You are the one who's changing fast. You are the one who's forging ahead. You are a pioneer to learn about what works for you. And once you hear the symptoms and you think to yourself, ah, that is what I have. You're the pioneer, you're one of us. Your healing experience may one day be very helpful to other people. You're building your personal power to heal and to light the way for other people. Don't give that away. Be that power, let it grow in you. Now the third mistake that people make about CPTSD is don't keep talking and talking about the past. That may sound totally countercultural to you because for basically the last 100 plus years, people who had emotional or psychological problems were told you need to talk about it. Do you have somebody to talk to? Why don't you find somebody very good to talk to about that? And that is considered obvious common sense advice. We were all raised on it. Some of us were lucky enough to afford it and try it, but did it help? So what happens if, like me, you ended up finding that when you do go talk to somebody about it, you don't get better? I didn't. And in fact, you start to feel upset and dysregulated and stressed when you try to talk about it. Well, now we know that it's not true for everybody that CPTSD responds to talking, that that helps it. CPTSD almost always involves neurological dysregulation and it can be triggered 
just by talking about trauma. So when trauma is lingering in your nervous system, dysregulation can be triggered just like that by a stimulus. It can be set off by getting yelled at or criticized. It can be set off by seeing something, smelling something, hearing something. And it can be set off by talking about trauma itself, revisiting the memory and just sort of running it through these neurological channels where there's a trigger. And it turns out that talking about a memory uses a certain pathway in the brain and that somewhere on that pathway is that little trigger. But it's possible for you to communicate what happened to you, to visit it, to talk about it, to share it with another person. It is possible. You can do that without talking about it by writing about it and then reading what you wrote. If you'd like to see the research on why this is effective, there's very good research with over 200 peer-reviewed studies around the work of James Pennebaker at the University of Texas in Austin. And he's shown that there are strong and lasting benefits to what he calls expressive writing. Now the writing we do here at Crappy Childhood Fairy, which is part of our daily practice, is similar to what Dr. Pennebaker says. It's a little different. Ours is a very specific technique it involves writing fearful and resentful thoughts, asking for them to be removed, and then following that with, with a simple meditation. And this is very different than talking, and it's also very different than journaling. Journaling is writing, yes, but it's about, it's for the purpose of recording those thoughts and experiences. The techniques we use here in the daily practice are about naming and discarding. We're not keeping, we're not trying to remember or make sense out of, we're just naming, writing it down, asking for it to be removed, and then um, sitting down in meditation and letting our brains recompose themselves. It's different, it's, it's very specific, and sometimes people watch a video about this and they try to do it at home, and I just wanna urge you, Take my free course, I've set it up so that you can learn it very quickly, but it's very specific. And if you miss certain details of how to do it, it can get you as wound up as talking or even ranting about it. So this is a, you wanna learn how to do it. When you write your fears and resentments and ask for them to be removed, a lot of anxiety comes up like, I need these, this is how I set limits, this is how I know I'm in trouble. And here's, here's the part of the technique that's kind of cool, you just trust that anything you actually need to remember or act on or respond to that's appearing among your fears and resentments today is going to stay intact or be given back to you in a clearer form that you'll know what to do about. And a whole bunch of it, for me, it's probably 80% of what I put on paper. Whew, I just forget about it. What a blessing that is. A lot of what my mind backs up is not necessary for me. It's, it's a backup, it's a clog, it's like a clogged drain. The daily practice helps process the backlog of thoughts and feelings that are a very real result of past trauma. Trauma leaves your brain sometimes with difficulty processing thoughts and feelings. And the feeling of overwhelm and just like so much going on in your head, it's very closely linked to the reality of unprocessed thoughts and feelings. It's noisy. Now, I love these techniques because they involve a pen and paper, and you can just have those in practically any setting. There's nothing weird about sitting there writing on a pad of paper. You can do it in a movie theater, you can do it in the office, you can do it on a train. Nobody bats an eye. You're not just standing on your head or doing some funny eye-catching technique. You're just doing something that nobody notices, but privately. What you're doing is you're releasing a bunch of fearful and resentful thoughts that are cluttering your perceptions so that you can think clearly, you can have lucidity, you can have calmness. And these are the fruits when you stop talking and talking and talking about your trauma.
Now, I don't want to knock talking. It's necessary to talk sometimes about your trauma. It's so important to tell your story in whatever form you decide to tell it. Almost everybody's healing begins with acknowledging what happened and telling at least one other person, this is what happened to me. Some people write a book, some people join a group, some people go tell a therapist, some people finally tell a spouse. It's all good that we do it sometimes, but it's just that when it goes on and on and on, it can be fruitless. All right, number four, mistake. Don't use isolation to control your triggers. A lot of us end up doing that. Maybe you're not a full-on hermit, but you find a way to keep people at arm's length really as a way to manage dysregulation and emotional overwhelm. It's almost always the case. And I get that there's a risk that interaction will get you dysregulated and stressed, and it can cost days of dysregulation just to have a little friction with somebody. And so it, it can feel like a prison, but using isolation to keep that dysregulation at bay, is not a good way of life. You need other people to heal. The trick is learning how to stay regulated as you gradually build the ability to connect in an easy and happy way with other people. You don't have to throw yourself in and join a deep club that meets every day. You can do a little at a time and do brief activities. And if connecting with people is something you need to develop a little bit, I do have a course for that. That's the Connection Bootcamp that I mentioned. You'll find that in the description section too. It's totally understandable that past trauma installed triggers in you that set off dysregulation. That's what I mean when I say, say trigger, not necessarily the way many people say it to me and, you know, it made me mad, it, it made me upset. I mean, it starts off neurological dysregulation in you, a, a stimulus. Don't stay isolated as a way to control your triggers. Instead, you can learn healing strategies to calm your triggers, whether you're around people or not. All right, number five, don't try to make other people control your triggers for you. Don't give them that power. Instead, you control your triggers and then exercise your freedom to hang out with anybody you like or not. Before you learn this, it's so tempting to think that the dysregulated, triggered feeling that you get is caused by other people. Now, that's possible, but more often, it's that you are having a dysregulated response to people just being themselves. You don't have to have them in your life. That's where boundaries come in. But telling people you do want in your life what they can and can't do, even when they've proven to you that they don't care about what you want or they can't do it or you know, it's pushing them away. Well, yeah, it, it's an attempt to control them. It doesn't tend to get what you want and, it, and, and you can lose friends over it. But worst of all, it's outsourcing the responsibility to not get triggered. They can't really control whether you get triggered or not. And if you're just sitting there like a ticking time bomb of triggers, sooner or later, you're gonna go off no matter what they do. Nobody wants to be criticized for being who they are. So your job is choosing who to spend time with um, and choosing people you accept as they are. You can ask for changes or limits on things. That's fine, you can ask, but there's no guarantee that they can or are willing to do that for you. So that's your freedom. If you know that you can control your triggers, you'll find very quickly that you have true social mobility. You can hang out with more people. You can go to a party if you want, because if it starts to get awful for you, you have tools to deal with it. You can stay or you can leave, and you don't have to live afraid and stuck. 
You can afford to try things and even to make mistakes. If you can develop good boundaries and allow other people to be themselves and learn to manage your own triggers and your triggered reactions, you're free. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs in the episode description below or on my website, crappychildhoodfairy.com. If you're going through a hard time and you need online therapy, I encourage you to check out BetterHelp. They're easy and affordable and they can connect you with someone you choose within a few days. And if you use this special URL, you not only help this channel, but you get 10% off your first month of therapy. So go to betterhelp.com slash ccf, as in crappy childhood fairy. That's betterhelp.com slash ccf. And remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.